Well, long-awaited podcast guest. Um, I've been trying to organise something like this for literally the whole five years of me mm, doing it, yeah. and it's only recently that I've had the balls to actually reach out to you oh, cool. and uh, see if you were able to come onto the show. And I'm glad that we waited till now because I'm down in Melbourne, got a nice studio to do it all in, and uh, we're on the road here. And uh, got Lucy here from Armored Angel. How you doing, buddy? Yeah, we are. Yeah, very good. Thanks for having me. Yeah, yeah. great, great uh, pleasure and opportunity. Nice to meet you in person. You know. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's good. It's it's weird. Like in the days of um of uh, the online following, now it's nearly like we've known each other for a while, but it's weird yeah. meeting for the first time in person. Yeah. You know, yeah. um, but yeah, look, it's it's also weird to say like Lucy from Armored Angel because I don't want to sort of like you know attach everyone to it's more to me than that. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I've done yeah. other things. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. and. And first up, just at the top, because I know if I don't mention this, the um, the Canberra Metalhead following that we have yep. will um, be like, why didn't you mention it off the start? Yep. Um, everything we do in Canberra, yep. all at some way, shape or form, was because of the work you did in the early days of the, of the scene. Oh, cool. Thank you. So strong straight up. Words, strong words. Strong words. Yeah. Absolutely, man. Like yeah. I, I mentioned before, just before we went online, like... Um, on air i'm i'm just turn, about to turn 30 so yeah. i'm that next generation yeah um so i'm not about to say that i you know seen you at fucking metal for the brain 2003 or whatever whenever the last show four i think yeah. i can't remember but yeah i'll take your word for yeah, it. yeah i'm not about to somewhere around here. yeah i'm not yeah. about to pretend i was you know yeah. part of that but i what i yeah. want to do is capture as much as i can so that people that were there can see the full picture now with yeah. podcasting so yeah, cool. straight up just off the bat i just wanted to say everything with all, all you know uh utopia and all all the all the stuff you've yeah, done the, the earlier even now there's dudes in the pit wearing patches that you're still putting out yeah yeah um, still still into it you know it's a, it's a passion you know? yeah, yeah. It's a lifestyle yeah, yeah so it's a way of life. tell me man what was it like to come into the scene as it was when you started in, in, uh, in real hard work in metal real, real hard yeah. work yeah um there were a few venues in canberra um I don't know in retrospect it was kind of trying to build a scene in a city theoretically should have moved to sydney or melbourne where there was possibly more yeah. of a scene you know you had earlier on you had bands like um you know tyrus and sas and renegade and bands like that yeah in the early sort of thrash scene that was probably a bit later than armored started um we just couldn't find a drummer for years yeah. you know rowan the uh, first guitarist and i um we were writing songs for years before yeah. we could even find a drummer yeah got a drummer and then found a vocalist couldn't get a gig no pubs clubs would have you you know mm. wouldn't put metal on they'd, they'd have punk bands wouldn't put metal on it was very odd metal had this very sort of rebellious sexist sort of yeah. sort of view you know so it was yeah it was a real struggle in the early days you know and and like now you compare it like i think that um so i've worked at the basement now for 10 years yeah and I've gone to other venues, and I feel like the crowd at the metal is quite metal crowds are quite the opposite. Like as far as like the stereotypes of like you know sexism and oh, all that yeah, sort yeah. of stuff. Oh yeah, yeah, that was the opposite back then. But it was yeah. just the way it was perceived as a yeah. even though punk was more political and anti-societal and anti-social. Yeah, metal was sort of seen, I guess, as the sort of the bad boys or whatever. You yeah. know, it was quite yeah, it was quite odd the perception. It was just so hard to get 
a, a gig, but you didn't really have the the market for it either. So mm. you know, when when we did um, latch onto a couple of bands that we made friends with and yeah. and got gigs with them, you get very few people o- over eighteen coming to pub shows. Yeah, um, but the underage, consequently, you you were forced to build the underage show yourself and we yep. did a lot of that at the youth cafes in in canberra yeah um it, it was even just hard just finding trying to find somewhere to rehearse you know it really was it was it was a yeah. real struggle um warehouses church halls you yeah. know, scout halls whatever yeah <laughs> just rocking out just, with like the, in a church hall absolutely yeah <laughs> yeah yeah hiring out a church yeah yeah to, we rehearsed and, and wrote a lot of our early stuff in in churches but yeah yeah it just goes to show if you um if you uh some people can turn a blind eye to what they believe in if it means that you know someone might sling them a cash some cash to hire their hall yeah yeah <laughs> exactly yeah it led to a bit of conflict actually yeah. but um yeah with some of the church goers yeah but you know yeah um yeah that was probably a bit later on maybe the late 80s yeah real early stuff yeah i don't know we just had a passion for it i was rehearsing with um three different guitarists i think at the yeah. time and we were writing and that and, not, and none of us could find drummers to go with our styles of music you know yeah. and um yeah rowan and i had probably written the most and then we got dave in on drums yeah um and uh and then finally yeah found rick on on uh, on vocals and i think we did a did a gig at the ANU bar in 1985 was was our first Jesus Christ. first outing but yeah we'd, we'd awesome. been writing songs for years before that yeah yeah so that was quite an experience you know yeah that's right that's yeah. really good like a lot of those older venues like I seen um I think one of the early memories of a gig at ANU would have been and like I mentioned I'm like after that, that era, wave yep. I went and seen a band called Stand Alone. They're like a punk band. Oh yeah, yeah. I've got their T-shirt. Yeah, yeah. I think it was a good, good friend of mine. He, oh, he cool. was a big figure in the scene as well. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. So I, I went there and um, seen that gig. I nearly got beaten up by punk dudes because I had a mohawk and you know it didn't fit with their thing. Yeah, it didn't fit with the narrative. Yeah. yeah so, um, but luckily I was, um, yeah, because I was young, man. You know, like people in the scene tend to avoid conflict and that sort of stuff whereas i was mr like walk up hey how you going fellas oh i know that band and i didn't realize that when you're young when like because when i was younger i was sort of a bit more like talkative to people i didn't know and normally yeah. i was fine in a metal scene but some of the punkers weren't weren't as much of keen on that interact yeah yeah so but luckily yeah. enough i knew enough people there that sort of just like seen trouble arising and took me out of it smoothed it over yeah but um yeah that was that's that's a notorious venue for all that like early stuff as well oh, as yeah. some of the late like i've seen a couple of other gigs there as well but i remember that standalone one um yeah. just because of the iconic members like you had dudes there that used to be in rose tattoo and all that sort yeah, of gig. yeah exactly yeah um but as far as things go for like that venue and music stuff metal for the brain we have to talk about it a little bit at least sure um i i think um what was the like just to correct what I was saying before, do you remember when the last one that Armored Angel played was? What uh, year? It was in 99. It 99. was the last gig we played before the final lineup broke up. Yeah, yeah bloody nine, hell. 99. Yeah. 99, yeah. yeah. And and that was, um, how long 
was the that final lineup in before it broke up? Oh, maybe two years in yep. or something. Yeah, yeah, it went south pretty quick. Yeah, was, it was, was going really well. It, it was a force to be reckoned with, yeah. you know, and, and a few few bad decisions and you know some personal sort of differences and yeah, you know, just exploded and yeah, bloody hell. So yeah. like, so two years. Do you think that was the best lineup that you guys had? Um. In in some ways, I, th- yeah. I think other people do. It was it, yeah, it it was it was firing on all cylinders yeah. early on, you know. It, it clicked pretty sort of quick, yeah. yeah. And I think a uh, a lot of everything's about chemistry, you yeah. know. Any any type of interrelationship, you know, you can have animosity or yeah. aggression. Sometimes that can work and bring out the best in everyone. <laughs> yeah. You know? yeah, there was a little bit of that with one of the producers, uh, Jazz Coleman from Killing Joke. There yeah. was a little conflict there. Where, he was trying to push us, and that sort of animosity brought out the <laughs> the fire, you know. So it can be a good thing too. Yeah. But the the chemistry sort of yeah, if if it's there, it's there. If it isn't, it isn't. Yeah, it's um, like that secret. Yeah. Maybe a lot of producers know that it might bring it out. You know, true. Yeah. Um, oh, th- this producer. Yeah. Fired someone up and then turned to me and winked, you know, <laughs> knowing full well he was creating. The, yeah. Yeah, getting 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 the uh, the reaction. You know, yeah, yeah, that's yeah. it. That's I, I, it's a bit like so we mentioned briefly off mic, and anyone that listens to the show knows I pepper this little bit of information for most episodes. I do stand up comedy, and some of my best sets are when like something's gone awry. Like yeah. I, I, I did a gig where like the mic kept cutting in and out, yeah. and it was everyone was having trouble with it, and some people it was just randomly cutting out on their punchline, and they were losing it. Yeah, losing it. Yeah. And I was just like. All right, and then I just like went in on it, and so many people were just like the funniest reaction that I had was one dude was out out the front, and I heard him talking to his mate. He didn't know that I was the one that was just on stage. All he could yep. hear was the speakers that were facing outdoors, like it was like the outside smoking area. So yep. he didn't see who it was. He could just hear. Hear them. Yeah. <laughs> he oh, goes, yep. I walk out and I just overhear him go. See, the thing is, he had an accent. He goes, the thing about Australian comedians is it doesn't sound like they're exactly funny. They're just rude cunts. <laughs> and, and I, and, but... It sums up the culture. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It made, made me laugh. But speaking of, like, you know, technical difficulties and issues with mics and that sort of stuff like that, I know that when, like, a lot of people have spoke about when you hit the road, you get some troubles and that sort of stuff. Yeah. Have you ever, what, in, in the time with Armored Angel, I know, obviously, sometimes this isn't all going to be on the forefront of your memory. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, do you have any standout moments where, like, you kind of pulled something together last minute to fix a problem? It feels like a job interview. When do you best um, yeah, perform? Yeah, <laughs> what are your best qualities? Yeah. We, we had a bit of trouble, actually, at, um, at Big Day Out. When we when we first played that, yeah. So we'd played some big shows with, um, like I said, we built really built the underage scene, yeah, in Canberra. And then a lot of those people started turning eighteen, and then pubs started accepting metal. And then they saw the crowd and the drinking, and yeah. the, suddenly they all wanted you know metal metal bands all mm. of a sudden. Uh, we were lucky enough to uh, score a, uh, I guess, a gig booker or a promoter or whatever earlier on. Um, that was. A good and a bad thing yeah. um, <clears throat> took us into the mainstream, and we got onto sort of uh, ID Records, which was Polygram sub label. So that got us a lot of opportunities within things like Triple J and mm. Sydney Morning Herald, yep. and um, you know, t- mainstream TV. So it, it, it all hyped. Uh, it created a whirlpool, like a vortex of, of hype mm. within it. So we managed to get on the big day out out of that, and yep. that was a bit 
that was pretty daunting to yeah. walk out to 6,000 people yeah. you know, when you're a underground metal band, you know, playing sort of extreme metal to walk out to a sort of predominantly mainstream crowd, you know, or, though they were alternative, they're still mainstream and yeah, it was sort of the size and the space was a bit yeah. daunting so we had some technical difficulties there with <laughs> you know guitar leads and drum mics and this kind of stuff but yeah yeah managed to manage to pull it together and um yeah overcome the obstacles <laughs> yeah yeah that's good it's like i think that a lot of like i've seen a whole range of stuff i've seen i'm not trying to listeners before you get the shits just listen this isn't me trying to tell lucy about everything i've done <laughs> it's just given some context um so i i've seen um now let me continue to talk about everything i've done so um i've i've seen blokes fully refuse to play yep. because something wasn't set up exactly how they wanted it yep um in which case i had just started doing stand-up Yep. And the promoter seen my comedy poster on the wall and recognized me as the bartender yep. and said, hop, hop on and jump on, yeah. do 15 minutes, keep the crowd warm while we yep. set up behind, like the yep. next band. Yeah. So old mate thought he was going to get it his way. Yeah. And I just jumped up and started telling jokes. Yeah. Filled in for it. For, yeah. I told every joke I knew it took me 15 minutes because I only just started. Yep. And um, because of that is why now they do um I, i've opened up a whole bunch of like for example i'm doing a gig in beechworth coming up yep. um and that's because it's metal bands that want an mc in between yeah right yeah um yeah. so i opened up the floodgates to that but I've, and, and and someone that's uh like john the beast used to do the same thing from in the, the scene state, you know someone from in the scene that, yeah. that relates to it and people are, are relatable and you you can tell jokes in that in that vein you know exactly of, like of i can the, the target market the audience you know? exactly yeah. like i can relate yeah. i can, like one it's thing that i relatable that, yeah one thing that i'll say is um like there was the the strat and the hat era like everyone had a strat and a hat like there was yeah. like the oh, yeah, like yeah. the like the uh like the acoustic people that have gone on to like a guitar and became like they want to be like a blues god oh, yeah, oh, yeah. you know what i mean like yeah. that there's different eras so i'll always do that i've done band interviews like on stage live like yep. if the drum is all set up and yep. waiting yep. i'll pull him aside and do like an interview live on stage while the rest are setting up yep. um things like that but i've seen everything from i won't play because it's not how i want it yep. right down to i've seen a guy um try and like do a trick with his guitar snap the lead off so just the yep. tip was sticking in he's the still in, in the jack of the yeah, input jack yeah. grabbed out a pocket knife that was on his belt yep. and pulled it out and then just grabbed there was like a patch lead between two um effects pedals effects yeah. pedals yep. and he's just got down on his knee pulled it out of one and jammed it straight into the guitar and finished the song just yep. with like that with like you know six inches of lead Yep. Between him and the Between pedal. him and the guitar. Yeah, so yeah. everything from there to there. Yeah. Um, but like I was mentioning before, like interviews on gear and that sort of stuff, do you have, first of all, do you, do you still play any, any stuff like just messing around? Yeah, yeah, yeah messing sort around of personally. You yeah. know, I'm still sort of writing lyrics and poetry and sort of playing guitar and bass and that kind of thing. You yeah. Know, had, had some projects going when I first moved to Melbourne, yeah. but, you know, the same old stories, to, yeah. you know, um, people move on to get married have a family or whatever you know can't commit Every, everyone's got to be at the same level for yeah. it to work you know um so yeah, yeah. People so come people go you know um shit i'm 
Uh, on, on that note, I will tell an interesting story. Yeah, I was going to say, it's probably sort, your sort turn of flatter, to tell flatter, a story. Yeah. To me, but <laughs> talking about, uh, we were we toured with Bolt Thrower. We were lucky enough to get the, uh, yep. the whole Bolt Thrower tour. Yeah, awesome. Um, well, most of it, not Perth, I don't think. Um, played in uh, Sydney with them. One of the best shows ever. One of the best times of my life. Yeah. Played in Brisbane with them the next night. They flew, of course, but we had to drive, so we were absolutely shattered and just made it to the venue as we were supposed to be on stage. So we had Shit. no sleep and driven straight from Sydney straight to Brisbane. There. Worst Fuck. gig ever. You know, it was, yeah. it was woeful. Just plugging into other gear. Didn't what year was that? Ninety four, uh, I think it was. Yeah, Ninety three or ninety four. But um, uh, Damaged opened the show. It was in Mel in Victoria, uh, and uh, all ages show it was a bit more rural, wasn't central sort of Melbourne or anything. Um, and uh, yeah, the uh, our roadie came over and uh, had the uh, lock lug nuts on the uh, on my uh, on my base. Yeah. And the roadie came over and said, I'll strap your bullet belt onto your base. And he, he, he didn't click it in properly. Oh, shit. And first came out, you know, we had to count in one, two, bang, you know. Base drops off because the oh, lock, lock nut's not locked in. Not so locked in. My base. So I've dropped down onto my knees to try and catch the base, trying to play it. One of the bolt thrower guitarists runs over, comes over, locks the nut in, fixes it up. Oh, for me, shit. Up, play the show. So yeah, they were standing on the side of the watching. stage and, and watching, and yeah, saw I had a problem and ran over and fuck so, yeah, yeah, bolt thrower were our roadies. Yeah. That's awesome, yeah, man. It's a good story. They were the loveliest, you know, real down to earth. We played with a few American bands, and they were a bit, you know, a bit, a bit fucking arrogant. Yeah, know? but yeah, bolt thrower, real down to earth. Yeah, real, real friendly. You know, sort of awesome. Yeah, 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 running out and fixing, fixing up the support bands, you know. That's gear, good, gear man. problems, yeah. And no, nice normally, man. like, it goes to show, like, um, their willingness to to help out and watch too, because so many yeah. of the headliners won't even watch won't the support watch the supports, man. Yeah. Um, I seen, um, like, I seen Alice Cooper a few years ago oh, in yeah. Canberra, and um, like some people don't even come out to watch the supports like the audience i mean like yeah. you know like you got bands supporting alice cooper i've seen ace freely as well so i think he supported actually uh, yeah yeah right yeah. um like a solo thing love ace's vocal yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. jumping yeah. out there doing yeah. a bit but um yeah man it's so cool to like that they weren't just watching but willing to help as well man yeah. i was actually really glad you brought that up because i was i was going to mention the bolt thrower tour yeah um was so, so also did the crowd see that like did they notice like cause i know like now if i seen that i'd oh. probably the crowd would probably get into it like they'd be like shit, yeah, yeah you the, know see the reaction yeah um yeah i'm assuming some did, yeah. but i'm i mean i was i was more focused on that <laughs> the thing yeah. so i didn't really you know i wasn't really paying attention but i'm sure you know people in the front row would have would have sort of seen that yeah yeah and and do you have a like a favorite sort of make model um branding for strings any of that sort of stuff that like that um, you that you usually go for I, I was always using the roto sound round wound bass strings the medium lights yeah um because i had uh, uh ibanez flying v which i got customized with the lembic pickups and a carla tremolo system and charla machine heads so i customized that got it repainted the alembic pickups were were great and i finally found an alembic as well um, because both those bases had a really low action 
and I was after that trebly sort of, um, you know, Lemmy Motorhead, um, yeah, yeah, Kronos sort of Tom Angel Ripper sort of, oh, sort awesome. of Kronos Venom Tom Angel Ripper sort of sort of, that growly yeah. bass sound. You know, I was I was using the lighter sort of strings with the, mm-hmm. with a Marshall bass stack. Um, and I'd use a distortion pedal and I'd always sort of a DI so I'd get the punch. Yeah. Um, and the bass stack was two quads, uh, two quad boxes, so I wouldn't really have a lot of bottom end in it. Yeah. Um, but I'd DI everything to get that get that straight sound punch and then I'd mic up the the um, the the quad boxes to get the, the growly distorted overdrive and then mix those two sounds to get a real real combination of them man that's so cool to hear a breakdown on that because like the uh, uh, the advantage of podcasting now is like you wouldn't have the chance to have that kind of conversation about stuff before you know like if it was ever on radio it went out there it was done you no one like it never had much much replay technicality to it as well it would be more yeah yeah you get a bit more in depth yeah, the the one big thing, um, Tim, a producer we used um, on the Stigmata EP and the Mysterium EP, he um, he put my bass through a processor on Stigmata. So yeah. I think that really made that EP was that was that bottom end bass sound. It wasn't quite the bass sound I was after. I was after yeah. more of a like a trebly body attacking sort of sound. Yeah. But he's put put it through some sort of bass processor in Sony Studios in Sydney, mm-hmm. I think it was, and it just it punches. Punched it, so yeah. and given the feedback that you know a few people, Mysterium's their favourite sort of thing, but yeah. most people I talk to, Stigmata's the one that does it for them. So perhaps it's the aggression of the songwriting. To me, Mysterium's a little overproduced, little clinical, little clinical. Right. There's a reason for that too, which I can elaborate on. Yeah, go for it. So we booked a studio in Sydney. Um, and we self-financed it, so it was yeah. all our own money. Yeah, we booked a smaller studio. We were there for I think it was seven days. I could be wrong. Might have been four or something. Yeah, like yeah. That. Booked a hotel. Um, went into the studio, started setting up. Whole studio blew up. Oh, so we shit. were unable to use it. We'd taken all taken time off work. We'd all you know finance, put the money in. Yeah, finance, finance the studio back then. They were like. $50 an hour or something like that. Yeah. So it was, a, it was a big deal, you know. Yeah, yeah. Sort of a, a lot of money uh, back in the day <clears throat> to use a good studio. And luckily their biggest studio upstairs wasn't booked uh, and Midnight Oil had just finished recording an album there and they just put a brand new million dollar desk in. Oh, shit. And it was this huge warehouse drum room, you know. Um, yeah. And they said, oh, well, while we're fixing the little studio downstairs, you guys use the big studio upstairs because no one's using it. So... I think that sort of added added a lot to Mysterium and having wow. it released on you know Polygram Records, yeah, um, sort of really pushed us up into the, up, up into the mainstream and got us on the big day out again and then yeah. things like this. So yeah, it was it was pretty pretty innovative at the time, you know. Yeah, uh, it was pretty pretty sort of groundbreaking. Um, it it had its limitations because yeah. we were signed to Polygram Australia, there's no overseas distribution. So mm-hmm. what we were doing was we were getting stopped from Polygram and then running our own international sort of distribution network because we'd built that up with a few demos and EPs. Yeah. So uh, a lot of time and effort went into that as well, just running the, you know, run, running our own, you know. It, it, it became so much more of a business. You yeah. lost the time to, to do the music because yep. you were too busy, you know, 
sending out packages and answering interviews and all this. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, it became pretty overwhelming, you know. Yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, like for me, I'm I'm sitting here like, man, the the amount of like interviews and stuff you would have done over over the years and that I'm tra- yeah. trying to like not sort of touch on the same sort of stuff. Yeah. Um, but like I said, you know, being podcast, we you know, got a different, yeah. it's a different, different avenue. Yeah. Mm. Um, but yeah, look, uh, what we might do, we'll take we'll take a break. Yep. Um, I I know I'll never cover off. I want to put this caveat here. I'll never cover off everything that everyone wants to hear from you. I won't even cover off everything I want to hear from you. Yeah. Um, we we have time limits in, and um, because everybody's got ADHD these days, anything over twenty yeah, minutes, they don't true. listen to yeah. anyway. Yeah. But I think that I think that our fan base is very loyal to uh, our content. So if pe- most people are still listening now, and I appreciate everyone for tuning in. Um, We'll yeah we'll take a break now. I, we might be able to organise something in the second part with um with a guest as well, yeah. um, something that I've organised as well. Um, but I'm just really ha- glad that we're able to have a one on one just to just to get this interview out there because I've been like I mentioned looking forward to it since I started the show to yeah. maybe one day eventually have you on here. Yeah, cool. Um, would be great. Yeah, so I appreciate you coming on to the show and um, thanks everyone for tuning in and. Uh, yep. Thanks for having me. Cheers. Thanks.